Smith and Jones Wednesday edition, December first. We officially flipped the calendar to December, so the uh, the holiday season definitely upon us. But uh, I guess guys, no holiday for the Toronto Raptors right now. It's a it's a struggle for the Raptors right now, especially coming after last night's loss to the Memphis Grizzlies. It's Smith and Jones. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Uh, make sure you rate and review as well. And on this special Wednesday edition, it's Alvin Williams Wednesdays. And we said to Al, you know, you're going to come on. You're going to do your 10, 15 minutes. He's like, that's it. Let's do longer. So we've got him for the entire show today. We always love chatting with you, Al. And uh, isn't it, it's isn't been it, a long time. Isn't, ahead, that like, isn't that like how it is? Guy never wants to leave the court, huh? Just like 10 <laughs> minutes, that's it? Like, You know, I wonder if Al was one of those guys that you're playing and you look over at the scores table and there's a cat subbing in for you. We've all been there, right, Al? You know that guy's coming in for you. You know that guy's yeah. coming in for you. And with, you know, there's like two minutes to go in the quarter or something like that. Or you, you know you're going out, and you know that guy's coming in, and all of a sudden, man, you start you start really trying to do it. Like you're, you're getting shots up, you're driving, you're trying to get to the free throw line and make the shots so the guy can't, you know, he can't come in until after you've made shots. It's something to yeah. see, isn't it, when a guy's going to check in for you? <laughs> That's definitely. The psychological effect of knowing you're about to get subbed out, you try to get your last point, you try everything, stay in that game as long as you can. Oh, yeah. Great point. Um, Al, one of the things I want to touch on off the bat here, referencing last night's game, and Jonesy and I talked a little bit about it when we were doing our little uh, video blog after the ball game last night. Two and eight now at home. It has been a long time since this team has not had a winning record at home. I'm obviously not including, you know, the Tampa experience last year. That's not home. It, you know, Scotiabank Arena, Air Canada Center prior to that, it's been one of the best arenas in the league for damn near a decade now, three quarters of a decade for sure. And it's it's going to be tough to turn things around if you don't start taking care of business at home. And this is the stretch now. I, you know, if, if we – if we look at the schedule and look at only three road games for the Raptors between now and the calendar flip to 2022, I think we're going to know what the season looks like four weeks from now. Because if you don't take care of these games that you got coming with a bulk of home games and turn this home record around, that could kind of uh, set the tone for the uh, for the rest of the season. Uh, for sure. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where all of these games are just, gonna, just critical, especially these home games. But once again, if you're missing OG and you're missing – Gary Trent Jr., right? It's, it's going to be tough, especially on the offensive side. It's, it's really going to be tough because those are those are scores that, that can give you a 20 each night, right? So when you're missing those things, whether you're home or on the road, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be difficult. So I think the first thing is trying to get guys back healthy. Second thing is trying to get guys, you know, acclimated to one another, build, continue to build that chemistry offensively and defensively, and then let the, let the games you know they fall where they may but um hopefully they, that can come together while they are at home al the hard thing is you know we always talk about the chemistry on the offensive end right that you're missing you know 40 points or whatever it might be but some of the numbers don't play out on the other end and you're missing good defenders you're missing a guy like og who can switch out onto people you're you're missing a Kem Birch who is really good at at blocking his man out and letting somebody else get the rebound or, or finishing possessions for you with rebounds. Like you're missing Gary Trent Jr. and his ball pressure, and those are sometimes things that 
you can't you can't quantify. There's there's no there's no number for being able to switch and yeah, well, contest a shot. I'm sure you can chart that, but just the the physical um, presence of an OG Ananobi on a guy like Desmond Bain. All of a sudden, he's looking at a guy who's bigger, stronger, just as quick, can close out, can can challenge the shot, and it it just it makes it more difficult. And that's, I mean, that's something that nobody talks about. But those things are important at the other end too, not just the scoring. Yeah, those things are critical. I mean, defensively, those are the things that you know from the beginning of the training camp. That's what you're working on, right? You're working on that. You're working on the communication. You're working on the schemes. You're working on who can guard who, the personnel, especially today's NBA where you have guys switching a lot, right? And you have to be able to guard multiple positions. You have to have your rotations. You have to have all, all of these things. And the lack of continuity on that side, it's, it's really, you know, it's really important to have that. And if you don't, that's that's another aspect. And sometimes that's even just as important as, as offense, right? Because that you got to communicate on defense. And if you don't know what you're supposed to do, then there's no way you can communicate. A lot of times you'll find defenses falling apart because of no communication. And there's no communication because people don't have a true understanding of what they're supposed to do, where they're supposed to be. And then ultimately being able to guard their man, right? So it it means a lot missing just those two people, and then it allows other people to go back to their natural position, whether it's coming off the bench, playing fewer minutes, playing at different different junctions of the game. So, so it, it does mean a lot. And people using an excuse is not really an excuse; it's a reality of it. Hey, Al. To that point, you know, and Jonesy and I have talked about this a couple of times on the broadcast. I know Paul, you've made the point a number of times where. You know, oftentimes you will look at the the bench right now. Let's just as an example, with Ananobi sidelined and Trent and Birch and and Watanabe's only been back for a couple of games and suddenly he's playing significant minutes again because they need him to. It's it's like that the the, the sort of the seven eighth ninth guy might become a starter or a couple of them might become starters. So now the guys that were going to be 13, 14, 15 are now your seven, eight, nine guys, and you really do have to lean on your depth that much more. And that's where we're kind of seeing that the roster. Right now, I'm not sure if it's if it's fair to say it's not good enough, but you got a lot of guys playing out of their comfort zone, out of their role, out of where they would be if you were healthy. So it's not just that you're missing stars. It's that your whole entire rotation is completely flipped upside down. No, for sure. I mean, that's what when, you, when you're sitting there and you're putting a roster together at the beginning of the year or a few years ago and you're figuring out what pieces you need – all of those type of things, those things, those things are critical as well. So depending on what direction the team is going in or what the expectations are, you have to consider like who you have on your team and what do you want out of those players. But even last night, it was good to see Chris Boucher getting an opportunity, you know, from not playing and then getting in the game the next day and the next game and playing critical minutes and doing some good things, you know, driving the ball to the basket trying to offensive rebound, not hurting the team. And that's that's all you can ask for for your bench, that know the scheme, still bring that energy in there. And then if 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 a player, you know, has a great performance, you know, a offensive performance or individual performance, that's even that's even more that's even sweeter. So, but you want those guys to be able to come in, you know, stick to the script, know the game plan and still bring that energy so there's no drop off or you can pick up the energy that the other that the starters or whoever is in the game is not is not providing. 
Al, I, I went back and, you know, as if it wasn't as bad bad enough the first time, but but looked at, uh, watched the game last night. I thought Toronto played really good defensively. I, I thought really well defensively. They did some good stuff. Um, you know, they hold Memphis under 40%. They, they, other than Desmond Bain, they really gave them a tough time shooting three balls. And I look at the score, 98-91, and, and you and I, Eric, Brevin Knight, we're all on the court kind of laughing after. It was like a almost like an old-school 90s game, both teams under 100. And I, I, I looked at the Raptors' offense and went back and examined every one of their 39 three-point shots. I can only think of maybe, in watching and charting it, I can count on one hand the number that were really, really contested. A lot of them were open shots, practice shots. And, you know, when you have a, a coach or a, you know, a, you know, a ball person and you're shooting the shot and they're kind of running by you with their hand up just to slightly distract you or try yep, to challenge yep. that. I would say 15 to 20 of them were like that and they couldn't knock them down. How much of that is just a matter of getting back in the gym and, and, and shooting shots. So you're comfortable. Like they had so many of those last night that did not go down. Yep. Just getting back in the gym. And getting those opportunities. I saw Yuta Watanabe, you know, getting some good looks. And he actually made some big-time threes at the right time. And, you know, that, that's part of it. And that's the challenge. Your, your offense, you will have nights like that. I mean, you guys know that. You know, you've been around the game so long. You have nights where guys that are great shooters just can't make shots, right? And then you have guys just getting opportunities. I mean, I have the same type of rhythm. Their shots just aren't going in that night. That's why it's that's why it's so important that you have to come out and give yourself a chance, right? You can't come out flat. I thought the Raptors came out a little flat yesterday and last night, and that that kind of hurt them early on. And they, they battle back as they usually do, right? But you can't come out flat. You got to know the game plan. You got to know what we're doing. and got to be ready to make any type of adjustments because you can't just rely on shots being made because that may never happen. You may have a stretch where the shots start falling, but you're not going to shoot 49, 51% from three or from the field goal realistically, right? So you got to have all the other things. But that's just a matter of getting back in that gym and, you know, when the opportunity come, still be ready to shoot the ball and, and, and play the game. Speaking with Alvin Williams, uh, when you talk about being flat, and it doesn't happen all the time, um, maybe maybe this is a stretch. You can, you, you can rein me in and tell me if I'm wrong or not. This team was led for – uh, a long time by a guy that was rarely flat and wouldn't allow teammates to be flat in Kyle Lowry. I mean, he was going to hold you accountable. He was going to he was going to get up into your face, and and you know he was the one that was bringing a lot of the energy, whether it be standing in the in, in the lane and drawing charges and and getting after refs or or getting after a teammate, an opponent, whatever it might be. He kind of had that edge, that chip. And it was contagious, and it rubbed off. Fred VanVleet has taken the reins this year, trying to be kind of like a, a Kyle Lowry-esque type player. He's certainly the leader of this team. He's the vocal leader on and off the floor with the media and everything else. But how much of that intangible is this team missing right now? How much do you need not just a guy like that, but multiple guys like that to help ignite the squad when they are flat, and it can't just be the coach that's dictating things. It's got to be that internal motivation. Yeah, I mean – it's hard to say, right? It's because not being in that locker room, you can look at the game and you can see what you can see or think you see what you're seeing, but it's 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 really not 
as easy to point out. But yeah, definitely if you're missing a player like Kyle Lowry that brings all those intangibles and, you know, the skill set. But when you do have a Kyle Lowry, you have someone like a Fred Van Vliet right next to him. So now you have two threats, right? Opposed to just right now having Fred Van Vliet who's who's having a basketball a lot, who's having to, to defend, who's having to lead, have to do all of these things. And that's I mean, when players ask to be, I know there's a lot of talk about Pascal Siakam, you know, talking about being the man and players wanting to be the man. That's a lot of the things that come with it. And that's where the patients come. That's where you got to be even killed. That's where you can't think about yourself. You got to make sure you think about the team first and then move forward because it can become very taxing when you're out there doing everything, playing a lot of minutes, and you're not getting the results from the wins, right? You're not getting the results. You're not getting certain performances or whatever the case may be. So when when you're talking about being that leader, being that Kyle Lowry type, I think Fred is doing a great job. I love his body language. I love the way he's going out there playing. I'm, I'm loving his interviews after the game and after practices and things. I'm not in the locker room, but I see him as being a great leader because he he's so steady. And if you and you're looking for a leader and as a player, you're looking for that person that's not too up and not too down. And Fred, he really fits that mold. So I think he's doing a great job. But it's just. You know, Kyle has some great teams, right? There's no Kawhi Leonard on his team. There's no DeMar DeRozan on his team. There's no Marcus Gasol or Serge Ibaka. He has some great teams, and that's why the Raptors were so good, not just because of Kyle, but, you know, there was some great players next to Kyle, you know, that, that caused the, the winning that, that the Raptors were having success with. Uh, interesting, Al. Uh, Kyle is gone now, and uh, we just got word from the NBA that uh, – uh, Miami being one of the teams will be penalized with a second round draft pick losing their, I, I guess most <laughs> or the the uh, uh, the uh, the most recent available second round pick I think was the way I interpreted it uh, for tampering and it, it, it's interesting because uh, I mean we know the the, the Wade Bosch LeBron thing went down and I heard from another player that year when it happened in October that, man, they had all that stuff arranged at the Olympics. <laughs> and so much of the, quote, tampering, unquote, goes on with players. And I, I, I how does the league police that? I mean, they're doing this to Miami, okay, because they, you know, they figured there was something amiss. But And Chicago. And, and Chicago. Chicago, right? Chicago gets yeah. theirs for Lonzo Ball, right. But, Al, like, you can't stop that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how you stop tampering. I mean, you try to put a penalty behind it, but, I mean, in today's world where everyone can communicate via face-to-face, social media, you, you can't say certain things when you're under contract or whatever. I, I, don't, I don't understand the purpose of it. I mean, I don't understand unless you're giving somebody some money under the table to get them to commit to you or sign a contract. I don't see the big deal when you're talk, talking about you know, influencing another grown man or grown up's decision, like to 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 make something, make a decision for their career. So I, I don't know, I don't know the purpose of it, but once again, I, yeah, I don't know how you police that because that that thing goes on so much just from a conversation and little hints. You you can you can cause you can say something about tampering. You know, I I might be splitting hairs a little bit here. I, I'm hearing what both of you are saying, and I don't disagree with any of it. 
I think where I, I would think that a lot of people have the issue and maybe where the league is taking some issue, and and there's no way, I guess, Al, to, to truly know this or quantify this, but last year, correct me if I'm wrong, right around trade deadline, it was Kyle Lowry's going to the Heat or he's going to the Lakers, and it sounded like the Lakers were really close right up into the last couple of seconds, but then the last six, eight weeks of the season, all we were hearing about was, now granted it was the rumor mill, the quote-unquote rumor mill, but it was like, Oh, yeah, Lowry's going to the Heat next year. Lowry's going to the Heat next year. It's not like it just sort of popped up in the summertime. Oh, Kyle Lowry went to went to Miami. Oh, it must be because he's close with Jimmy Butler. It was like everybody knew that come the offseason, there's a very, very, very strong likelihood that Kyle Lowry's not going to be back in Toronto, and he's very, 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 very strongly considering, quote-unquote, going to the Miami Heat. So I think that's where the league looks at it, where it's if it's in the news for weeks and months that a guy is going somewhere while he's still with another team and under contract with another team, I appreciate that the league needs to kind of do something and, and try to at least appear to be cleaning it up. But what I don't understand, Al, is the league makes this announcement today. I'm reading through the press release. And, okay, the Chicago Bulls, because of Lonzo Ball and the, the uh, Miami Heat, because of Kyle Lowry, they're going to forfeit their next available second-round draft picks. There's no compensation. To their old teams? Like, the Raptors aren't getting anything out of this. So the league is saying, you guys tampered with a player that was under contract with another team. But the team in which you tampered with, they don't get anything out of this? So really, at the end of the day, all we're doing here is, for lack of a better term, penalizing two college kids or or two European kids or whatever from entering the NBA. There's just going to be two less picks in the draft. The Raptors aren't walking away with nothing from this, right? Like, that doesn't that doesn't compute to me. Yeah, I, hey, man, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I, I'm just sitting there thinking, like, I mean, the Raptors did. It was, it was Precious Achua and Goran Dragic, right? Right. I, I guess the Raptors got what they got out of it. You know, it, it's not like they took away the Raptors' picks or the Raptors' players that they traded for out of Man, don't get me started because, like you said, Kawhi Leonard knew – everybody knew he was going to the Clippers. Everybody knew uh, LeBron was going to the Lakers. Everybody – like, everyone knew. Everybody knew Chris Bosh. Those guys, they knew that they were going to Miami. Like, so it's been around forever. Like, forever. All, all it is is an agent talking to somebody. It could be that. It could be a friend talking to somebody. It could be somebody in the boardroom going out leaking some information. Like, you just never know. And – what I what I got a chance to know and find out my little stint of working with Brian Colangelo in the front office, whatever they want you to know, they'll tell you. What they don't want you to know, you won't know, right? It's that it's that type of secret society, man. So it's just interesting how some of the information get out and how they like to use it and when they like to use a certain information. So I that that's above my pay scale, man. Knowing that information. Well, if it's above your pay scale, then it's definitely above mine because if you want to bust out paychecks, I know it's well above mine then. Um, Al, we'll, we'll, we'll take a pause right here and we'll continue with more Smith & Jones. All right, Al, let's completely switch gears here. Uh, I want to uh, talk. Real quick, man. You're always talking about your paychecks are so low. Man, what the heck? you making big dollars over there, man. You got, no. you got your podcast. You got, you got so much you got going on. You're not going to pull a wool over my eyes, dog. Man. You, hey, you want? I'm, I'm ready to open up the books to you, Al. I'll open up the books to you. You'll, you'll, you'll see how sad it is, man. I'm, 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 I'm like, I'm, I'm drinking out of a coffee cup that's got a chip out of it right now. It's, man, it's, it's tough times in the Smith household. I'll tell you that, Al. 
Um, Man, we should be we should be drinking out of plastic cup instead of the glass cup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a red, a red solo cup, and I want to know what's in it. Envi- um, environmentally uh, uh, friendly. E. Exactly. Uh, I don't I even know how to find about. a. I don't even know how to find a segue to this. I was going to look big picture on something for a second, Al. Uh, a guy that's a, a friend of all of ours, Jonesy and I and To a couple of nights ago had a chance to go to the premiere of a documentary that is going to be on CBC on Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be on the CBC Gem app as well. There was a premiere out west in Vancouver last week. Nav Bhatia, the super fan, um, and it chronicles uh, Al, his life coming over from India in 1984. And then, uh, you know, 10 years later, a little more than 10 years later, there he is courtside at Skydome with this brand-new franchise, the Toronto Raptors, and the super fan was born. And there's... There's stuff in the documentary from Isaiah Thomas and Vince Carter and various other players that that have you know uh, become friendly with with Nav over the years from you know Raptor players to opposing players and just the way that he interacts with folks on the floor. I just th- thought I'd throw it at you, just kind of generically big picture, Al. Do you do you remember your first interaction with him and just kind of seeing him courtside all the time and the impact that he uh, that he that he had on on certain games or in that era, especially when you guys were going to the playoffs and trying to develop new rivalries with this this young emerging franchise? You know, I, I don't remember my first interaction. I just remember seeing him. I remember him always being there. Um, but one thing I do remember, man, he was always positive. It was he was a supporter of the Raptors, but he didn't, you know, put down the other team. He didn't harass. He he wasn't, you know, you have some of those fans that are every game and they just harass the team. I mean, the most Nav would do is during free throws, throw his towel up in the air. Like <laughs> that was, that was like one of the funniest things to me, but I, I just, I always had that respect for him because he, he respected the game. He loved the Raptors, but it showed he respect people as a whole. He wasn't a fanatic that was you know to say or do anything so that was always something that made me attracted to him and respect him and then I just saw his love for all the players but I just remember his true love for Vince and it was easy for you to love Vince because he was the best player but it was just different from him it just it just became different because like I said he loved everyone but he really like you can tell like it was a true love for Vince and they had a close relationship but I had a close relationship with him as well too so it's great to see, like you know, him being recognized for his passion and his his what he gives to not just the Raptors but the sport as a whole and the entire country, man. The things that he does, so great dude. Uh, Al, how how motivating is it? I mean, you know, when you're playing at home, you draw that energy from the crowd. That that that's an easy one. But you're in New York or you're in Chicago or somewhere, and you look over. And within eye shot, behind the bench, front row, few rows up, you see fans, your own fans, right, on 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 the road. Talk to me about a moment, because Nob's a guy that, I mean, he, Eric and I joke, when we were traveling, he, the guy had better seats than us. Like, we'd show up in a playoff game in Indiana, and, you know, we're halfway up the arena at our broadcast location standing, looking like, uh, as uh, our, our former PR director would say, the the Fox broadcast crew from football. We'd be standing there with our sleeves rolled up and ties down and, hey, look, there's there's Nav. He's sitting courtside. How, how motivating is that? Or what what feeling goes through a player when he sees fans like that traveling to be courtside and support the team? You know, I mean, as a player, I guess you may take it for granted. You may, I mean, 
it's like a comfort level. Like it's one of those things where Nav was at every game. So it just, it just helps you. Like you look at all the other teams, you see, you know, Spike Lee at all the Knicks games, you know, definitely at the home games, but the big games, he would be on the road as well. So like when you have those fans, it's just, it's just the love for it. And you, you'll see it. Like you'll see all the players going up to give them a hug. I saw he and Freddie yesterday and they, they had a long hug. And it's like all the players, all the players that come through, like he builds those relationships. And it's, it's nothing that's forced. It's just the fact that he's there to support. And the players really love that. So to your point, Jonesy, is I don't know how it feels just to have him there. Of course, he feels good. But I think overall, you just start realizing the personal effect that he, that he has with people. Because once again, he has a, he has a kind soul. And it's not just basketball. He's not talking basketball. He's talking. He's asking about your family. He's asking how you're doing. He's giving you your props, saying what he liked about what you did. So it's one of those good relationships when you do see him. So it definitely brings a different comfort level when you probably see him to the game at the games. Hey, Al, when you talk about that impact, I'm going to switch gears here for a second. The impact that you guys had as a as an organization, as a team. I want to go back to your era with the Raptors, and and you know, due respect to you and. Antonio Davis and Charles Oakley and so many others. When folks in Canada talk about the rise of Canadian basketball over the last 20, 25 years and the number of Canadians that are currently playing in the NBA, uh, and it seems like on a nightly basis you can't flip on the TV without seeing a Canadian playing for one of almost every franchise in the league. Even last night you look out on the court and there's Chris Boucher on the floor with Delano Banton and he's out there on the floor with Clark and Brooks. There's four guys out there. It always seems like it's circled back to, oh, Vince Carter. Vince Carter. I'm not taking anything away from Vince. He clearly was the poster boy, and he clearly was the guy that brought in a lot of fans. But it was also you guys as a team and that team being good in that era. Did you have a sense of that when you were playing, how the tide was turning? Or were you just thinking like, ah, there's there's more fans, and it was just more about the fans? Did you have a sense then, let alone even now, the impact that you all had on – the rise of the sport and the amount of kids that played the game because of the success that they saw with the teams that you guys had there in the early 2000s? No, I, I didn't. You know, I you never. I mean, you start seeing, you know, more interest and you start seeing, you know, fans having a different perspective of the game, a different understanding of the game. Um, so, but you, you don't notice the impact, especially when it comes to like children, right? You just never know until they become what they become, and then they may make might make mention, right? I remember asking Gilgris Gilgris Alexander during a during a during a um, All Star game, it was like Vince Carter impact on you, and he was like, no, nah, he didn't have an impact on me, right? It was just one of those things where everyone, you know, directly or indirectly, may not feel that, but. I'm thinking he was so young, like shucks in 1998. I don't even, was he born? Like, I don't even know <laughs> if he was born. So the impact when I see older people, like I, I met, um, Javon, uh, Javon Shepard father yesterday. And like you said, we were at Brevin night and the father's like, Oh man, I know who you guys are. I watch you guys. Da, 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 da. The older people, they, they definitely know. And you know, the way they raise their kids and what they had them in front of and, and all those things, you know, make an impact. But as a player, man, you never just, you never understand. You never, you never really, at least I didn't recognize the impact where they go speak at a school and throughout the years, you know, you came to speak to my school or you saw me here and I've never forgot that. You never really understand that. That's why when I talk to young people, it's always, it's always the message I give them, like, make sure everything you do has intention. 
right? Or has has purpose behind it because you just never know who's watching and what what you're doing and how it impacts someone. So I wish I did know at that time, but I definitely understand now. Al, we talk about impact and and uh, the NBA impacted Canada, but you grew up with the NBA. I mean, you're in Philadelphia, and uh, for me, I was I was more a fan of a player. I was a I was a Dr. J fan, and when he got sold on the uh, first night of the season from the Nets to the Sixers, I immediately became a Sixer fan. So, um, but but you have impact from NBA guys, but there's also an impact at another level. And I'm looking at the kind of the the resurgence and and the new growth of of basketball in Canada around the national team. How much were you impacted, Al? Because I know I was, uh, even though Canada wasn't in it, and I spent all that time growing up in New York watching the U.S. Olympic team in in the 76 Olympics when, you know, when Quinn Buckner had just won in Indiana and now here he was leading the, the U.S. Olympic team. And, you know, I, I felt badly for Isaiah Thomas when they boycotted in 80. And then, you know, I watched Jordan in 84 and Canada was there. And, and, and you know, the Russians didn't show up. I'm like, ah, the U.S. would have won anyway. They had Jordan, Ewing, Perkins, all these guys. How much does did the amateur ranks have an impact on you, Al? Oh, big time. I mean, they, they were the ones, the amateurs, you know, watching college basketball made me want to go to college, right? I, I didn't necessarily want to go to college for a major. I, didn't, I wasn't thinking about, you know, going to Georgetown because I wanted to go to their law school when I was 12 years old. So I watched the Patrick Ewings. I watched the Ed Pinkneys. I watched the Chris Mullins. I watched the Johnny Dawkins. And, like, I watched all these players beginning to learn about Duke university not knowing how prestigious a school like that was not knowing villanova was right around the corner but the amateur rankings and then when you did see them start playing they were playing at that time on a national team made me want to play in the olympics that was a goal of mine to you know play for the usa team that's one of the things more than even wanting to play in the nba i wanted to play for the olympics i wanted to play for the usa team in the olympics that was always what i wanted to do that was always a goal of mine. And it started with the amateur, right? It started me, you know, going to John Chaney basketball camp and him having some of the basketball players come there, like Granger Hall. And then you had Tim Perry. And then you grew up a little mm. bit more, see Mark Macon. So, yeah, that that was big because they were closer to you. And it was you when somebody talk about you can go to college and you can play basketball in college and you could be like them. That was more of a reality for me to be like, someone that played college basketball than it was for me to be a Dr. J or Mo Cheeks or Magic Johnson. Right. So it was, it was, it was probably more impactful the collegiate level and the amateurs than it was for the pros for me. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I wonder, and this is, I'm sure a personal, um, personal opinion for most, it's going to be different for, for most, but I wonder how much that Olympic experience and certainly the Olympic medal, the gold medal specifically means to uh, today's generation. I'm not saying it doesn't mean anything, but correct me if I'm wrong, Jonesy, I think even Giannis Antetokounmpo said last year, even after winning the NBA championship, that winning an Olympic gold would be an even bigger deal to him, as as thrilled as he was. And I wonder if that's uh, a global thing or if it's something that would be different in North America. Like, are we influenced too much by the four majors where there's not as much focus now on world championships, World Cup, Olympics, etc.? Or do you think that there is still that same lure and luster that is at least equal, if not ahead of winning a World Series, an NBA championship, a, a Lombardi trophy, a Stanley Cup, etc.? I, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting 
the, the sport has changed, you know, the money of it, the business behind it has changed. You know, it's a, uh, it's a more taxing, I think, schedule that the players have off season, things like that. But I also it's interesting. I also think, you know, with the world today, people view the United States as a different country, right? It's, it's not the same country, you know, that we were raised in, in, in the textbooks and how we looked upon. So a lot of information has come out, you know, you got your social issues. You have a lot of the history that, you know, this country was based on. I'm talking about America. And and you're starting to see that everything that was told to us in the textbooks is not the reality of it. So I'm not sure if the passion there is to represent the country by everyone. I, there's, story, there's surely other players out there that, you know, still have that, you know, that patriot feeling and the patriotism and all that. But I think there are some players that is not, is not at the top of their, you know, you know, bucket list, so to speak, that they play and represent the United States just because of the things we've seen as of late and throughout the year. So it's interesting who you talk to and how they approach it and their their purpose for playing in the Olympics. But it's definitely prestigious for some players still and does have a have a meaning a meaningful, you know, piece behind it. Uh, hey Al, championships are what it's about. Uh, you know, there are I believe there's a the old adage that uh, I wouldn't say the guy's in a class by himself, but it doesn't take long to do attendance. And I'm thinking about a guy like Quinn Buckner, a guy like Michael Jordan, uh, a guy like Magic Johnson, who won an NCAA championship, an NBA championship, an Olympic gold medal. There aren't that many of those guys around. I think there are eight. And I just named three that I could think of. Um, uh, you know, it, it's championships are what it's about right yeah no for sure because that's that that's what that's what you play for you know it's not until you get it's not until you get to this level the professional level where you see it's not always about championships from an organization standpoint or it's not it's not always the best players that that are on the floor there's a lot of things that go behind it the business of it the championship is definitely that, but then so many players, and you'll find you'll ask some players. Everybody, everybody is not trying to win a championship. Everyone's trying to cash that check. Everyone's trying to develop their brand, and that's the challenge. When when you see a champion, a team win a championship, that's why it's so beautiful, and that's why it's so emotional. Because when you can find people on the same page for 82 games and beyond that can stick to the script and win a championship, it brings a different light. But it takes a lot to get people to get to that point where they where they really believe that it's all about winning a championship. So you, you have some players that say, you know what, I'm cool if I don't win a championship. If I win a championship, that's great. But if I don't, it's it's whatever. But then you have some people, they live or die about winning that championship and they'll do anything they need to do. So it depends who you ask. But when you're talking to us, of course, we want to win because we're team guys, and, and that's that's what we've grown up on. The greatest players, they won. Larry Bird, Dr. J, Magic Johnson, uh, Michael Jordan. All of these guys won, and that's all that, that, that was the standard. Al, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Al. Thanks for having me, guys. See you, next, is- see you on Sunday. Yes, sir. See you on Sunday and, of course, next Wednesday as well for Alvin Williams Wednesdays right here on Smith & Jones. Thanks for tuning in to the show. Make sure you get the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. We'll be back again on Thursday.